second episode of Castle Speaks, we are going to continue the conversation about fear. For this episode, we will learn how people's fear has affected our history. We will be talking about how uttering takes place in our society and how uttering has been the origin of horror historical events. We will also be comparing history and learning about the fear of histories. Lastly, we are going to have a discussion about the fear of slavery and genocide and how it connects to other events in history. Stay tuned for more! In this episode, we will be exploring the definition of othering and how othering relates to fear. We will also be talking about events in history that highlights fear. So, Wendy, what do you think othering means? To other is to view and treat someone differently. People in general judges and categorize people in certain group, which ends up with things like stereotyping. By othering, people would classify someone as not one of them if they don't think alike or believe the same thing. Many times people forget that everyone has their own feeling, thoughts, motivation, goals, and are in general different. We as humans can dismiss someone, especially by their appearance and their first action, and think they're less of us. Although people are different in many ways, people are also able to relate with people based on their interests. The condition and the quality of otherness and also like the unpleasant emotions caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat, is a vital response to physical and emotional danger. If we didn't feel it, we wouldn't protect ourselves from legitimate threats. But often we fear situations that are far from life or death and thus hang back for no good reason. Traumas or bad experience can trigger a fear response with, within us that is hard to quell. Yet exposing ourselves to our personal demons is the best way to move past them. Yeah, I agree with all of you. Also, I would like to add that it seems that othering starts as early as the school playground. It's like when kids don't want to play with them because they have cooties. This continues on even in middle school and high school where people join cliques and refuse to interact with anyone else other than the people in their group. Essentially, it is like having prejudices against a group of people and being discriminatory towards a group of people. I totally agree that othering and categorizing starts at a young age, but I think our background, race, class, and gender plays a great role in which othering affects us all. Yeah, othering is definitely an issue, especially since it exists so much in our, in our everyday life. Why do you guys think unconsciously categorize themselves to certain groups? I feel like people unconsciously categorize themselves to certain groups based on the environment in which they grew up in. For example, if someone grew up in a community with little to no diversity, it means that they probably don't know much about other races and unconsciously believe that the stereotypes about the other races are true. Essentially, I think people unconsciously categorize themselves to certain groups because they are scared of the unknown and also believe in the untrue facts about a certain group. So they just end up wanting to stay with the people with similar interests and similar backgrounds as them because they feel more comfortable that way. It's sad that this is so common. Because even I found myself unconsciously categorizing myself into a certain group when I first started a new school because I felt more comfortable and secure with the people I knew. I think things like this should definitely change because if people were more open and willing to step outside their comfort zones and learn to un understand one another, I feel like society will get along better. That's true. I think that people can unconsciously put themselves to a certain group because many times we become friends with people by similar interests. Grouping people with the same interests as you can lead to stereotype classes and intergroup biases is 
and established psychological trait. These groups create a if you're not with us, you're against us mentality. James Norris blog said the the concept behind othering is that humans have an undeniable tendency to engage in othering through thoughts for the purpose of self-preservation and learning to avoid and counteract these thoughts pattern is the basics to reducing the world's hatred. The idea of otherness is central to sociological analysis of how majority and minority identities are constructed. This is because of the representation of group different groups within any given society is controlled by groups that have greater political power. How does othering relate to fear in our history? Well, othering relates to fear because, like I mentioned earlier, people are scared to venture outside of their comfort zone and learn to understand others. They feel safer with their own group of people because they know how to behave and feel like they'll get along better since everyone has the same interests. Another way in which fear relates to othering is that people are scared that when they try to interact with other people outside of their group, they'll offend the other pe- they'll offend the other party because they do not know how to behave or what to say. They might feel scared and think, what if I say something that will offend them? So basically, some people do want to venture outside of their group, and they do want to try to be an open and be welcoming of other people, but they do not know how to approach them and are scared of scaring them away or scared of, take, of them taking their words the wrong way. Othering that relates to fear is also prominent in history. One specific event that clearly shows how othering relates to fear is the prejudice against the Chinese immigrants in the 1880s. In fact, the Chinese Exclusion Act was passed in 1882, and it was the first significant law restricting immigration law in the United States. It was passed in the spring of 1882 by President Chester A. Arthur. They passed this bill to placate worker demands and deal with this concern about maintaining white racial purity. Basically, the Chinese was accused of taking away the jobs from the whites. However, what's shocking to me is that the Chinese only composed 0.002% of the United States at this time. So basically, the Chinese barely even made up 1% of the population in the United States at this time. So how is it even possible that they were taking away all the jobs in the nation? Unsurprisingly, when the Chinese tried to challenge this act, they were unsuccessful. The statute of 1882 suspended Chinese immigration for 10 years declared the Chinese as ineligible for naturalization. The act was renewed in 1892 for for another 10 years. As a result, the Chinese population in the United States sharply declined. While the Chinese Exclusion Act was finally made illegal in 1902, the Chinese were still ineligible for citizenship until 1943. Since othering is basically a group of people who had similar beliefs, this can cause problems where a group of people believing in things like racism, sexism, and etc aka groups of hater. For example, the Japanese-American relocation was a form of othering. After Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, rumors spread it and led many race prejudice toward the Japanese-American citizen. In early 1942, the Roosevelt administration was forced to remove any Japanese ancestry from the West Coast. Many farmers tried to remove Japanese competition Military authority were trying to get rid of them, and politicians were hoping to gain siding by standing against an unpopular group. Two months after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, President Roosevelt passed an executive order to evacuate all Japanese Americans from the West Coast. More than 1,200,000 people re- were relocated to internment camps across the country. Some Japanese American citizens were allowed to return to the West Coast in the beginning of 1945, 
and the last camp closed in March 1946. In 1988, Congress awarded the restitution payment to each survivor of the camp. This act was a violation of civil liberties in American history. Do you think we can ever get rid of othering in our society? I think it would be ideal if we got rid of othering in our society. If people were taught to be more open, understanding, and welcoming towards other people, there would be less misunderstandings, stereotypes, and prejudices against people in this world. We would be able to create a more healthy environment for our children and many more generations later. However, I think that realistically, othering will always exist in our society. I think othering will always exist because there will always be people who are ignorant to the situation and are unwilling to change. Some may be ignorant due to the lack of education or being fed incorrect facts by uneducated people. Some may just be unwilling to change and is unable to see that change is necessary. Or there are people who will always think about themselves before others. For example, in times of a crisis, a group of people would rather care about themselves first instead of thinking of the bigger picture and thinking about what is morally right. Essentially, if necessary, people will be willing to turn their backs on another group of people and discriminate against them because in their minds, they are doing whatever they can to survive and care for themselves. Honestly, I don't think we can ever get rid of othering. I think as people, we just like to rank each other and put ourselves first. I think by putting ourselves in a category, it gives us an identity, something we can label ourselves into. As much as we hate it, categories are social constructs created by people. We are probably never going to get rid of social constructs. However, we should learn to accept these different groups. We should give choice and opportunity for people to success, like providing resources for someone who is in the lower class to succeed to be someone in the higher class. Learn to accept. <laughs> yeah, othering is definitely something that needs to be fixed because it can only be fixed if everyone has an open mind and is willing to change. So this concludes our segment on this discussion of othering and how it relates to fear. Keep listening for more stories of our history and how it connects to fear. Here is a word from our sponsors. Square Roots is an after-school and summer program for kids in Boston. Square Roots helps kids with homework, summer learning, and family engagement. There are many activities, such as field trips, our activities with the team program, science experiments, introductions to computer technology, and many more. When I was a little kid, I went to Square Roots and it helped me become who I am today. It is a great place for your child to learn how, how to communicate to others and get to know youth their age. You can find out more about this program at cstoboston.org. This concludes our discussion on othering and how groups of people in history have been discriminated against because of their background. Stay tuned for our next two segments, which talks about slavery and genocide that are related to fear. Hi, I'm Yu Chang, and I'm here with Alyssa, Hi. Grace, Hi. and Elizabeth. Hi. In this episode, we will be talking about slavery, genocide, and various events that occurred in history. So, Alyssa, how do you think slavery is a product of fear? Well, slavery was a system in which African Americans were stripped of their basic human rights to adhere to white supremacy. Many slave owners used cruel and immoral methods to keep their slaves under their control. Today, slavery is regarded as an evil institution that was a product of fear among white Southerners who were afraid of the overwhelming population of African Americans. 
How about you, Elizabeth? I say that because people fear living or sometimes fear what they do because they could be killed. And you, Grace? I think slavery was a product of fear because whites were afraid of people of color and what they could do. They were afraid of what would happen if blacks had power and afraid if they would do something to them. And how about you, Yu Chang? I think that slavery is a product of fear because it is a symbol of oppression. So slaves doesn't have any freedom whatsoever. Everything was taken away from them and they were being treated like animals. They fear every single day of their lives because they might get brutally beaten for some reason or no apparent reason at all. Families can't even be together because once the kids are old enough, they will be sold and who knows when they will see each other again. And the fact that they can't rebel or else it's an immediate death is just too scary. But they would think that rather dying is better than being slaves, which is even more fearful and sad. Do you agree, Lasilla? Yeah, slavery was an oppressive system for African Americans, and even so now, though we might not have it today, it plays a huge part in history. Slavery is linked to genocide as well, the connection of people killing others because of the group they belong to. What do you have to say about genocide, Elizabeth? I think that because of genocide, people were afraid of who they were and what ethnicity or race they belonged to because they knew they might have been killed. In 1944, Polish Jewish lawyer Raphael Lemking coined the term genocide in a book documenting Nazi policies of systematically destroying national and ethnic groups, including the mass murder of European Jews. He formed the word by combining geno from the Greek word for race or tribe with side with the Latin word for killing. Noting that the term denoted an old practice in its modern development, Lemkin defined genocide as a coordinate plan of different actions aiming at the destruction of essential foundations of the life of national groups, with the aim of annihilating the groups themselves. How about you, Grace? I think genocide was an act of fear because many groups of people were afraid of other groups and felt like they were threats to someone. Many people felt like other groups were getting bigger, so they had to plan to kill them before they got killed. And you, Yu Chang? Genocide is a product of fear because you are basically killing groups of people and limiting their freedom of speech. One example is Hitler and Stalin. Hitler is more common by the people and not much people might know about Stalin, but they have very similar paths. They were both dictators, but Hitler was most cruel, which made him more popular. He believed that the Jews were, cause of, were the cause of their suffering. The Holocaust is genocide, and that is really bad. What do you think, Alyssa? Genocide is a product of fear because when one group of people is convinced that its existence is in jeopardy from another group, they are convinced they have no other choice but to evict the competing group. This boils down to a we have to get them before they get us belief that Grace was referring to. At any rate, the only way to deal with those who do not fit the ideal is to destroy them. What historic stories do you guys have? The story I'm going to tell is the Civil Rights Movement. The Civil Rights Movement started when people of color wanted to vote and sit in front of the bus and hang out with white people. On December 1st, 1955, when Rosa Parks, an African-American woman, was arrested for refusing to move to the back of the bus in Montgomery, Alabama, Martha Luther King Jr. organized a bus boycott by the community, which eventually led to the desegregation of the bus line and launched protests across the South. They did this because they wanted African Americans to have rights, just like everyone else. In 1960, spontaneous sit-ins by students begun at lunch counters throughout the South. And in 1961, Freedom Riders boarded 
interstate buses to test and break down segregated accommodations. These protests were peaceful, but they were sometimes violent and often brutal force. In 1963, television viewers saw hundreds of thousands of African Americans and whites march on Washington, D.C. to end racial discrimination. It was there that Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. After the assassination of President Kennedy and the landslide election of Lyndon Johnson, Congress passed the landmark Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which outlawed racial discrimination in public accommodations in schools and removed obstacles to voting. There were many boycotts all over the world to show people how much Africans wanted to feel free, like white men and women. Without these boycotts, there probably wouldn't be rights for people of color out here today. After the Civil Rights Movement, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which ended segregation in public places and banned employment discrimination of the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin, is considered one of the crowning legislative achievements of the Civil Rights Movement. What about you, Alyssa? My story is about the Salem Witch Trials. The Salem Witch Trials were a series of hearings and prosecutions of people accused of witchcraft in colonial Massachusetts between February 1692 and May 1693. The mass hysteria started in January of 1692 with the daughter and niece of Reverend Samuel Perrys of Salem Witch Salem Village both became ill. When they failed to improve, the village doctor, William Griggs, diagnosed them bewitchment, putting into motion the forces that would soon lead to the Salem Witch Trials. The public quickly turned against the accused witches, fearing their supposed powers. The public were afraid of witchcraft because the community consisted of Puritans, and the Puritan belief limited from several, several centuries ago from many Christians who had a strong belief that the devil could give certain people, like witches, the power to harm others in return for their loyalty. More than 200 people were accused of practicing witchcraft, and many were thrown in jail without solid evidence that they were actually witches. Eventually, the colony admitted the trials were a mistake and compensated the families of those convicted. Since then, the story of the trials has become associated with fear and, and injustice. What's your story, Yuchang? The Chinese Exclusion Act was a United States federal law prohibiting all immigration of Chinese laborers from immigrating to America for 10 years and declared the Chinese as ineligible for naturalization. The first significant Chinese immigration to North America began with the California Gold Rush of 1848 to 1855. And it continued with subsequent large labor projects, such as the building of the first Trans-Constitutional Railroad. During the early stages of the Gold Rush, when surface gold was plentiful, the Chinese was tolerated, if not well received. As gold became hard to find and competition increased, and the Moss City tourists to Chinese and other foreigners increased. After being forcefully driven from the mines, most Chinese settled in, in caves in cities, mainly San Francisco, and took up low-wage labor such as restaurant and laundry work. With the post-Civil War economy in decline by the 1870s, anti-Chinese animosity became politicized that blamed Chinese coolies for depressed wage levels. Chinese workers who are already in the country challenged the constitutionality of the discriminatory acts, but their efforts failed. 
The Chinese Exclusion Act was the first law implemented to prevent a specific ethnic group from immigrating to the United States. The white laborers were angry at the Asian workers because they took most of the jobs, because at that time, the Asian workers would take any job available. Left with no jobs because they were too picky about everything, they decided to blame everything on the Asian workers. And the government thought it was the right thing to do, and they banned the Asians from coming into America for 10 years. What is your story, Elizabeth? My story is about the Holocaust. The Holocaust took place from January 30th, 1933 until May 8th, 1945. This was a time where millions of European Jews were killed by Adolf Hitler and his German army called Nazis. During the Holocaust, not only European Jews were killed, but mentally disabled people, homosexuals, and gypsies. And the people died from getting killed starvation, diseases, or maltreatment. The reason Hitler caused the Holocaust was because he thought the higher-ranked Jews were responsible for World War I, killing thousands of German soldiers. But he didn't do it alone, obviously. He had the help of some people. He blamed the Jews for all the problems that were going on in Germany, and people believed him. Anti-Septimism in Europe did not begin with Adolf Hitler. Though the term dates back to the 18th century, there is evidence of hostility towards Jews long before the Holocaust, even as far back as in as ancient world, when Roman authorities destroyed the Jewish temple in Jerusalem and forced Jews to leave Palestine. The Enlightenment during the 17th and 18th centuries emphasized religion toleration. The anti-Semitic feeling endured, however, in many cases taken on a racial character rather than a religious one. While in prison for treason for his role in the Beer Hall Putsch of 1923, Hitler wrote the memoir and propaganda track My Struggle, in which he predicted a general European war that would result in the extermin extermination of the Jewish race in Germany. Hitler was obsessed with the idea of the su superiority of the pure German race, which he called Aryan, and with the need for living space for that race to expand. In the decade after he was released from prison, Hitler took advantage of the weakness of his rivals to enhance his party status and rise from the obscurity to power. On January 20th, 1933, he was named Chancellor of Germany after President Paul Hindenburg's death in 1934. Hitler anointed himself as Führer, becoming Germany's supreme ruler. Well, what do you guys think was the most important historical event, and what would you have done if you lived in the event you told about? I think any historical event uh, that abuses people's civil rights and well-beings are the most important because laws are supposed to protect people and not discriminate them. And once they do, it's totally unacceptable. But because a lot of people are brainwashed and totally racist by the government groups and etc., the people that can see through the fluff can do so little. <laughs> people that want positive change can't make change if the majority wants to do things the other way around. And if I lived in that era, I will rebel, I will boycott, and I will make change. That is my opinion. What do you think, Alyssa? Well, I think the Civil Rights Movement was the most important historical event because the movement helped minority groups gain a voice in society and validated them with basic human rights. The Civil Rights Movement ideals inspired many activists today who strive to protect members of marginalized cultural groups' basic human rights despite their race, sex, gender, and religion. This is important to me as a female and a minority who is perceived as a weaker sex and is 
placed on the bottom of the power pyramid. If I were alive during the civil rights era, I think I would have participated in the movement. What do you think, Elizabeth? I would agree with you, Ching and Alyssa, because it is a historical event in civil rights and stuff. People's rights should be respected and people's voices should be heard. I think that these events affect us today in a way that we have more freedom, like we can speak our opinions freely now, and we are more equal because of what the people back then did for us, like the civil rights movement. I think the historical moment I did was very scary for a lot of people. Like it made them see how evil some people can be, although others were blinded by the words of the evil person. <coughs> Trump. <coughs> how about you, Grace? Yeah, I think the civil rights movement was very important. But all historical events are important. The civil rights movement was the reason why people of color are equal now. The people of color came together and made a difference. Even though there were so some violence, they were able to make a change. If I was alive back then, I would have been scared, and I probably would have protested with them. Many people got beat because of the protests, and I don't think it was fair. So that concludes our group's discussion about historical events relating to fear and genocide. Here is another word from our sponsors. Square Tech is a computer repair and technology clinic in the Castle Square area that also has a team program. At the team program, you learn PC hardware, networking, computer programming, and customer service training. We often work with their teams and they all love it. If you are in high school from Boston, you can apply for the summer program by going to cstoboston.org. This concludes our discussion on how slavery and genocide are related to fear. Like the teens have said, slavery and genocide produce fear for the people that are scared of the oppressive government and the leaders are afraid the people would rebel. Did you notice that we include some real life historical stories to spice things up? Stay tuned for our last segment about the history of 9-11 and the Red Scare. Hi everybody, Calvin. Hi. And Queenie. Hey. And I are here to talk about 9-11. As the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States intensified in the late 1940s and the early 1950s, hysteria over the perceived threat posed by the commune reformists in the U.S. became known as the Red Scare. Communists were often as Reds for their allegiance to the Red Soviet flag. The Red Scare led to a range of actions that had a profound and enduring effect on U.S. government and society. Federal employees were analyzed to determine whether they were sufficiently loyal to the government. And the House Un-American Activities Committee, as well as U.S. Senator Joseph R. McCarthy, investigated allegations of subversive elements in the government and the Hollywood film industry. The climate of fear and repression linked to the Red Scare finally began to ease by the late 1950s. Communism is terrible, even though equality is ideal, but it isn't equity. Communism isn't a bad idea, but more of a bad practice. In communism, we see a dictatorship. Also, we have seen communism failed in many cases. Communism is bad because you have no rights. People were forced from redistribution of all land and property for the good of national community. From the point of view of citizens, they were forced to join the new communist 
government frame of mind. Men showed up and would start to take everything you have for the glory of motherland, as what the Soviets said. 9-11 invoked fear because it threatened our national security. Many people died and felt very scared because people imagined themselves at their own office and possibly dying where they were supposed to feel safe. Once the criminals were named, terrorism had a face. Countless news outlets kept reporting these Arabs of the Muslim faith over and over until everyone in America believed that all Arabs Muslims are terrorists. To protect us, Obama continued the Patriots Act to create safety in the United States. This meant anyone who was in the Department of Justice was allowed to conduct searches and do things that violated the Fourth Amendment. Just because someone wore a headscarf or traditional Muslim clothing, they were profiled and searched. This sounds a lot like something we're still going through. <laughs> Operation Pipeline. <laughs> Anyways, America wanted to feel safe again, and they were willing to do anything and even dehumanize others so people can create gain. Politicians used fear tactics to attack Muslim communities and mosques were vandalized. In the United States, they stripped the rights and powers of the Muslims and Arabs so they can keep at the bottom. Hate speech was more common and accepted because the Americans had a mutual hate for these so-called terrorists. To this day, 9-11 shaped the idea of a ter terrorist. At this time, Syrian refugees are denied asylum in the United States. We are one of the top countries not accepting refugees that when they need it most. What's even more sickening is that in those three years, 2011-2014, Turkey has taken in 2 million people compared to the measly 1,500 the United States has taken. Xenophobia is a fear of people moving, in this scenario, into our country, the United States. We should, have, we, sh we should be ashamed of the xenophobia we have. We have to get rid of the ignorant things we do, like labeling groups in a negative way. Is this how America wants to reflect itself? Are we only going to bat an eye when people are killed daily, which we could and should have saved? We see a baby boy on the beach, dead. How is there nothing happening when something atrocious is shown? That we are always blaming someone else rather than trying to find a way to fix the problem so it won't happen again. No, we are so stubborn that we rather fight over why we are always right and why we are always so great. On September 11, 2001, it was when the tragedy happened. It's known as the day where the terrorist attack of an Islamic group that killed 2,996 people. That day is a day that reminded people that Muslims were evil and bad, how we were supposed to stay away from them. From then on, Muslims were disrespected and they lost all their respect from the Western world. I remember every 9-11 in school, we had to stand in moments of silence in the middle of class to remember our nation and 9-11. 9-11 is the day that will never be forgotten. Where were you guys when 9-11 happened? On 9-11, I was two years old and barely conscious of what was happening because babies don't understand things and are a state of a walking vegetable, even though it was the biggest historical event that happened when I was alive. 9-11 was one of the scariest U.S. attacks. I wasn't even one yet when it happened, but I learned about it when I was in school. We had to learn about it because we were young and alive during the event. Our teachers would talk about it and what they were doing on that day. It was scary when they told us these stories because they were very much aware of what was going on while we were just little kids still developing. When 9-11 happened, I was not there because I didn't exist at all. I learned about 9-11 when I was in first grade.
These two events relate because it groups a face to certain people. Communism made the face of all Russians into communists, and 9-11 made Muslims the face of terrorists. Red Scare 9-11 is different because one is a dangerous act all around the U.S., but the other was less intense. One was based on communism, and one was an act centered around terrorism. Their similarities were that they both targeted a specific group of people. And that's the end of our podcast. Thanks for listening. This concludes episode two, where we covered genocide, slavery, 9-11, and much more. You may have heard of many of these events in our history textbooks, but hopefully our conversation have connected the events to the use of uttering to obtain power and cause fear. This is extremely important because we don't want history to repeat itself. Thanks for listening to episode two. This podcast is brought to you by the CSTO Team Program. The Team Program is a media design and workforce development program focused in social justice. Teens learn high-quality media skills such as graphic design, podcast production, photography, and video. In addition, teens learn marketable career skills, leadership development, and become engaged citizens. You can learn more about the CSTO Team Program by going to www.cstoboston.org.